Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Good morning. Woke up this morning, hear the birds singing. Uh, so I, I, it's quite encouraging, there's little, little blossoms and little buds coming and so I'm quite excited, there's a, the warmth in the weather. Uh, Natalie said, if this is global warming, bring it on. Uh, don't, don't, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> Just a joke. Um, but praise God for the seasons. Uh, God has given us all these wonderful seasons. In fact, they're a promise of his covenant promises. Uh, the prophet said that if the seasons fail, then God's promises fail. And uh, spring especially reminds us of resurrection and regeneration and new life. And so it's a beautiful time uh, to, to just praise God and to glorify Him. Well, we are continuing in 1 Chronicles. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and we're going to go through the whole chapter. We're going to jump over some bits, so especially the lists of names. Uh, but we are going to attempt to do the whole chapter. So if you were here last week, we looked at David's mighty men. And uh, this chapter continues, so it's almost the two chapters uh, begin with, the, chapter 11 begins with David being anointed as king, and then the end of the 12th chapter comes back to that. And so these are sort of brackets, and in between it talks about uh, all these mighty men who supported David, and the chronicler, the author, his intention is to highlight uh, the loyalty of Israel to David, to the Davidic king. Uh, it is to highlight that all the tribes are coming together to support David. So it's, it's emphasizing unity. And as I mentioned last week, the lessons for us are our loyalty to our David, our King David, who is, of course, Jesus Christ. And, of course, our unity in Christ, even though we come from all different backgrounds different cultures, different experiences. Uh, there must be unity in Christ around our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that continues, but we want to learn some lessons, draw out some lessons as he emphasizes uh, different accounts and different tribes. So look at verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, The following were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still banned from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were archers who could use either the right hand or left hand, both to sling stones and to shoot arrows from a bow. They were Saul's relatives from Benjamin. And then it goes and gives a list from verse 3 through 7 of their names. <clears throat> so uh, there's sort of a flashback here for the chronicler. He's going back to before David was anointed as king when he was still been hunted by King Saul. If you know the story, 
Saul was told that David would would take his place, that David is the, the king that God had chosen. Saul was the king that the people had chosen. But David was the man after God's own heart. And Saul, instead of saying, yes, Lord, I submit to what you, you are doing. I humble myself and I will submit to that. He fought to hold on to the kingdom. And he sought to kill David. Uh, one time he even threw a spear at David while he was in his own house. So... Uh, David had to flee for his life, but now it goes back to this period when he was outlawed, when he was uh, banned from the presence of Saul. And it says here, there were Benjaminites who came and joined David. And remember that Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. So it's saying even people from Saul's own family, from his own tribe, supported David. And so I think there's a lesson here as well that... uh, at this time, to support David was illegal. And in many countries in the world, it is illegal to be a Christian. People are persecuted for serving Christ. And to be a true Christian means that if that ever were to ever happen in South Africa, God forbid, and we are called to pray that it doesn't happen, some preachers are a bit bombastic and they say stupid things like, what we need is persecution. Well, uh, you would never find the apostles saying anything like that. What Paul says Pray for our leaders, that's what you heard us do just now, that we may live peaceful lives in all godliness. That's first prize, that we will have, be able to live peacefully and serve God and grow in holiness. The problem comes is when we abuse the peace that God gives us, when we don't live godly lives, and God in his wisdom may send persecution. But you must be willing as a true Christian, even if you, you, you are to lose your life, Uh, you will do that rather than deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, can you imagine what people in the tribe of Benjamin would have said to these these men? How can you betray your tribe? Saul is our family. He is our blood. Uh, We need to support him. How can you go and support David? And again, this is part of counting the cost as God's people. Your own family may well reject you. Your own tribe, your own people may well reject you, but to follow Christ is worth it. Uh, You must be willing to lose everything. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ said, unless you hate mother or father, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, of course, he doesn't mean that you must go and hate. uh, But in comparison to one's love for Christ, every other relationship, even our, our, our closest relationships, marriage, parents, children, pale into insignificance in a sense and let me just tell you this the more you love Christ the better husband or wife you'll be the better parent you'll be the better child you'll be okay so it's also a win in that sense but our love for Christ for our true David uh, we must be willing to lose everything we must be willing to be persecuted even rejected by those we love the most but they came and they fought with David and notice what it says it emphasizes they could shoot bow and arrow with their right hand and left hand and they could use a slingshot which is not the same as a catapult you can go and google a slingshot's a very i've never used one but it looks very very difficult uh, to use but they could use it with their right hand and their left hand it is interesting in the old testament that it will which will emphasize when people are gifted with their left hand because it's out of the ordinary, isn't it? Most people are 
are right-handed. Uh, to be good at both, to be ambidextrous is, is very, very difficult. If you've ever played sport uh, and tried to be good with both hands, if you played cricket, you know, if I throw with my left hand, it looks like... <laughs> uh, it's very difficult. I, I mean, I can't throw, I, I can't bowl, I don't even... Uh, uh, I, I try to teach my children when, when we go and kick the ball, I say, practice with your left foot, because they're all right-footed right naturally. And I say, practice with your left, because if you can play ambidextrously, it's an incredible advantage. I mean, historically, most, many of the greatest footballers have been predominantly left-footed. Uh, Mo Salah, um, I wrote a list here. <laughs> uh, Maradona, Messi, did you know? All left-footed, primarily. Um, why? Because the world always expects, because everyone else is, is right-footed, the emphasis is on that. You're not used to, to go in the other way. And so the scripture says something remarkable. These men were properly ambidextrous. How did that happen? Do you think they were just born with it? No. They trained. They practiced. To become proficient with both feet will take incredible practice. To be able to be proficient with a, I have a bow and arrow, uh, to be proficient with, with both sides and then with a slingshot took hours and hours of practice. Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote that book, The 10,000 Hour Rule. Okay? It's sort of been debunked a little bit, but we understand the principle that for someone to become, to excel in something takes hours and hours and hours and hours of hard work. That's how these men got to this position. Where they, they could be accurate with their left hand and their right hand. And so we're going to look today at training. Remember what I've told you over and over again. These things are written for our example. We are to learn a lesson here. How do we fight sin? It's by training. Now what the chronicler does is he starts with these guys who use really long-range weapons. Okay? So shooting a bow... You're shooting an arrow at people that are quite far away. The same with a slingshot. The next group you get to are those who are good at close quarter combat. As a Christian, you need to be good at both. You need to be able to see the dangers that are afar off, the temptations that are coming at you from afar off, to preempt it. Some of you are not doing that. You're allowing, you think you can handle it, you think you can handle it, and then suddenly it's right next to you, and it's too late. You need to know yourself. You need to see far off. This relationship is not good. I will stop it now, before it goes any further. I know myself. I know my weaknesses. This greed, this, this vehicle maybe, is just pouring petrol on my covetousness and materialism my ego what I want everyone to think of me as I drive around so you begin to know yourself and from afar off you are attacking you're training practicing scripture Paul says this even the appearance of evil okay? so that you are careful Continues, verse 8, some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the desert. Gadites were uh, some of the tribes that were in northern Israel. So remember, David is from the south, Judah. 
So here the chronicler is showing that he's going to show the Gadites and the, uh, those from the tribe of Manasseh also joined with David, and those are northern tribes, emphasizing that it was the whole kingdom that was behind David. They defected David at his stronghold in the desert. I love that picture. Remember, he's, he's on the run. He's been hounded by Saul. And so he has to flee to the desert, and he, he forms a stronghold in the desert. Well, if you're a Christian, this, this world should be a desert to you. This is not our home. Over and over again in Scripture, we're taught that. Even Abraham, he was not looking for a kingdom here. But he was looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He was looking for a heavenly city. The world is not, is not a, a trying to feed you spiritually or encourage you to love Jesus. Your unsaved work colleagues are not there to, you know, thinking, how can I help this person love Jesus more? Your peers at school or at university, the, the media, they're all about pulling us down. It's a desert. We, we cannot go there to satisfy our thirst, to, be, to have our, our thirst quenched spiritually. We can't go to those places. We're in a desert, but today we're in a stronghold. Today we are here with God's people. Today we are under the sound of God's word. Today we get to sing praises to God. This is our place where we come to be fed. Not this building, but the gathering of God's people, of the saints. And so they came to David in the stronghold in the desert. And it says they were fighting men, trained for battle. That's the title for the sermon. Trained for battle. Expert with shield and spear. Think of the Zulu warriors, the Asagai. Close quarter combat. They would get up in the, the face of the enemy. They knew how to block and then to, to use the spear, the stabbing spear. Their faces were like the faces of lions and they were as swift as gazelles on the, on the mountains. But again, they were trained. Do you see that? It doesn't happen overnight. You want to grow in holiness? You want to be fighting sin? You want to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit? That should be the desire of every Christian. Don't you want to be a gentler, kinder, more patient, loving person? A person that's not, not tossed to and fro by every, you know, you watch this news station. You know what they always say, Fox and CNN, you know, like competition. You watch this one and you believe everything they say. Then you watch this one and you believe everything they say. And then you... Uh, there's this new doctrine that's going around and you, you're swayed by it and then another doctrine and you're swayed by it. And No, you're firm, you're established. You see the dangers are far off. Preemptive attacks. And then there are seasons in life when something happens immediately and it's close quarter combat. A website pops up on your computer pornographic what are you going to do there it is you're going to fight there it is close quarter combat can can you fight are you prepared have you been trained are you learning are you growing are you repentant greed is suddenly there covetousness is suddenly there your temper suddenly flares up they were trained for battle it doesn't happen overnight it's not going to happen passively When I was at school, we used to, you know, especially at exam time, uh, 
people would, would uh, sort of fall asleep. They would read their textbook and then try and fall asleep with a plane, you know. Uh, the, the, the tape plane, again, we, tapes, most of you probably don't know what tapes are, hey? <laughs> Cassettes. Uh, but it doesn't work like that. Holiness doesn't come by osmosis, by falling asleep on the Bible. Uh, falling asleep to the audio of the Bible and you're going to become holy. It doesn't work like that. How does it happen? Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, have nothing to do, this is 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has a limited benefit. It's not without benefit. It is right to be healthy. But it's limited. You're still going to die. You're not going to live forever. You're still going to die. But it, it does have some benefit, but it's limited. And yet, what is the obsession with the world today? It's on our our bodies, isn't that right? Diets and gym and all of these things. And that's the obsession. How, how do I look and my physique and etc. etc. Paul says, no, 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 don't focus on that. That has limited benefit. This is what you must focus on. But godliness is beneficial in every way. Since it hold, holds promise for the present life, it's good for you now. And also for the life to come, for the reward that is to come. So train yourself for godliness. And then verse 9 he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. That means this saying that physical exercise is, is, has limited benefit, but godliness is uh, beneficial in every way, was a, was a motto in Ephesus. It was... It was something that everyone knew. It was a maxim. It was something you could probably approach someone at Ephesus and start this, this quote and they would be able to finish it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that were true at Heritage as well? That this is a motto. This is a maxim. We understand this. Praise God that we can, we can do exercise and all these things. That, but godliness is infinitely more important. Holiness is infinitely more important. Now the word that he used here, uh, train yourself, gymnazo, that's where we get the word gymnasium. So you see the, the, the imagery that's being used here. The, the gym. Most of us, we, we have a love-hate relationship with the gym. Hey? <laughs> we have a sort of a January New Year's resolution uh, going to the gym, and then sort of February, March, and then how do I cancel the contract? <laughs> uh, that's normally how, how it works with, with physical exercise. But we understand, of course, that just as these guys who trained for battle didn't happen overnight, they had to practice. So it is. If you want to be successful in sport, if you want to be athletic, it's, again, you have to train. There are no, I guarantee, there are no top, top athletes who are lucky. It's, it's impossible. You will not succeed at that level. You look at people who have succeeded. Remember hearing a statistic with Ronaldo. He does apparently 3,000 sit-ups a day. You wonder, I mean, you might not like the guy. I, I don't know. 
But you've got to be impressed with his ability and that he can go for so many years at that level. But again, do you see, it, it, it's because he puts the effort in. Remember the news conference, he took the Coke bottle and he moved it away. And he took the water bottle. He, he doesn't drink. He doesn't drink fizzy drinks. He's disciplined. So he reaches that level. And you can apply that to, to sport and everything. But that's temporal. This discipline is, has value now and in the life to come. It is eternal. So how do we do this? How do we train? Well, just briefly some lessons from 1 Timothy. First of all, learn. Learn. Learn what the Bible teaches. You won't be able to fight preemptively. You won't be able to use those arrows those slingshots, if you don't know what the Bible teaches about how we are to think and about the lies that are in the world. So learn what the Bible has to say. You won't be able to, to resist your friend at varsity who comes and tells you Jesus was not really God. You won't be able to resist that because you don't know what the Bible teaches. It's just something you heard, but you've never studied it. You don't know the doctrines of, of Christianity. And that's why you should be here at Bible Hour. Half past eight, we do extra teachings on all of these different topics so that you can learn. Secondly, listen. Listen to the public reading of God's Word and to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Listen. By listen, it doesn't, we don't mean just listen and then, you know, in one ear, out the other. It's to put into practice, to obey. When God's Word is proclaimed and you are convicted of something, put it into practice. Obey it. You're not going to grow in holiness if you're not obeying what God says in His Word. God calls us to come together to, under the sound of his word and hear his word preached so that we can then apply that in our, in our lives as we fight sin, as we fight ungodly philosophies and heresies, as we live in this desert. And then the third aspect is, is follow. To imitate other godly people. Again, that's why we're in community. If, if Christianity was just learning what the Bible says, we wouldn't need church. We wouldn't need preaching. You could just, here's a Bible, go home, study it, and you'll be fine. But in fact, that's not even the major focus. The main focus is the gathering of God's people under the sound of God's word, being in community with one another, so that we have people that we can imitate, we can learn from, mentors, people who disciple us and shepherd us and care for us and keep us accountable. If you're just coming to church on Sunday and then ducking straight away, not, not building relationships, because that's, that's if, you, if you grew up sort of in a Christian culture, churchy culture, that appeases your conscience. I've got to go to church. You know, it's a good thing to do. Uh, it's the right thing to do. I'll go to church. But 
You don't want to become a member because then there's going to be responsibilities placed on you. You don't want to build relationships because then people are going to ask difficult questions. You don't want to have to open up. You don't want people to really know how you live. You just, you just want to tick the box. I go to church. So when they ask me what religion am I, I'm Christian. Because I go to church and, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't be such a bad person. But that's not what the scriptures teach. It's to be part of a church. You have gifts that you're withholding from the people of God. People are not then walking that road with you, keeping you accountable, protecting you, caring for you. So don't use the church. There are consequences to that. And then lastly, from Timothy, look, watch your progress, watch your life. You know top athletes, and, uh, or if you're preparing for something, so I know Ponce is preparing for the comrades, and um, I've tried to stop him. Uh, <laughs> I say, only the wicked run when no one's pursuing. <laughs> um, but I guarantee you, and we, we uh, I think it was the young adults who had that Kipchoge contest. Uh, everyone's keeping their times, aren't they? You're seeing, how, much, how, how long did it take me to run this 10 kilometers? Uh, and then next week, uh, am I beating my, my PB, my personal best? You're keeping a record. You're tracking it. You've probably got a smartwatch. You're, you're, you're focused on that. How much more so is God's people? Are you, are you examining your life? How am I doing? Am I fighting sin? Where are my weaknesses? Uh, what, where, where do I keep stumbling? When do I keep stumbling? When I'm alone? When I'm being lazy? Is it certain times, certain seasons? What's going on? Am I improving? Am I fighting? Where, where are the weak spots? I need to work more on materialism and greed. I need to work more on my temper. Uh, you, you're examining yourself. It's not just laissez-faire. Whatever happens, well, tomorrow I'll fall into this thing and hopefully I'll get victory and then the next day you're just like a, a ball in a pinball machine just being bounced around. Every now and then you get a victory and yay and then the next day you fall on your face. No, you you're examining yourself. We, we're going to have communion just now. God calls us to examine ourselves. Not for perfection. Say, Lord, by your grace, I can see that I'm growing in this area. Not proud. It's by your grace. But here I see that there's still weakness. Please help me. Maybe I need to go and speak to someone else. Maybe there's... Uh, I need to ask the pastors for some material to help me in dealing with this. And so these guys, they were close combat fighters. They were trained for battle. And you and I are to be the same. And that, that never ends. It's not as though you reach 60 or something and it's like, well, I've finished my training. Again, you know that. The elite special forces, they, they train every day. They... If they're not fighting, they're training. That's their life. Verse 14, these Gadites were army commanders. The least of them was a match for a hundred. 
and the greatest of them for a thousand. These are the men who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing all its banks and put to flight all those in the valleys to the east and to the west. So it tells us another story of these Gadites that uh, even, even crossing the river, they were able to do that. Here the, the, the Jordan River was flooding. It had overflown its banks. Okay. This is not a little stream. This is a mighty river, and yet they were, they were able to. They had the skill to swim across. So probably one of the most famous uh, elite military units is the Navy SEALs. And SEAL stands for Sea, Air, and Land. So that they are trained, they are proficient in, in every sphere of battle. They can parachute in, high-level parachuting, low-level parachuting, nighttime parachuting. They're proficient in the air. They're proficient on land, and they're proficient in the sea. Any terrain, they're able to fight. Any area. So I think that's, again, part of our training. There are different seasons in life. There are times when you're depressed. There's times when you're happy. Different temptations come when you're happy as to when you're depressed. Different temptations when you're older to when you're younger. Different temptations when you're at work. Different temptations when you're at home. Are you proficient at fighting sin at every sphere of your life? You're not just sure that guy's a great Christian at work. But at home he's a nightmare. Okay. Or vice versa. Or you're good at fighting certain sins but not others. Proficient in every area. Again, training. Growing, learning, getting to know how you respond in different situations. I find it helpful to do post-mortems. That's what I call it, a post-mortem on my sin. What led me to that place? Why did I respond in an angry way? What happened before then? Generally what I find is pride that I'd started to think I'm okay. Stop training, stop fighting. So it's going pretty well. Like this Christian thing is—it's uh, not so bad. I don't know why I found it so hard before. Uh, <laughs> and then what happens? Pride comes before a, a fall, and so you start to see. Okay, what happened? I started to become lax. I started to allow those. Remember, we spoke last time. Those little things. Those little—it's just a lentil field. I'm not going to—I'm going to be legalistic. And then you fail in a, in a bigger sin. Verse 16 continues and says, Other Benjaminites and men from Judah also went to David at the stronghold. And then David went out to meet them and said to them, If you have come in peace to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies, even though my hands have done no wrong, may the God of our ancestors look on it and judge. And so Paul doesn't, uh, David doesn't know these people are from, from Saul's family. Are they there to do him good? Or are they traitors? Are they just pretending so that they can turn on him? And so here's the warning again. If you're playing at church, if you're really a Judas, you don't love Christ, but maybe there's things you like about Christianity. 
or you've come because there's a girl that you like or a guy that you like or whatever. There will be consequences. You, you cannot come to Christ as a traitor and think you can get away with it. What happened to Judas in the end? What happened to those that we've already seen in Chronicles who played games with the Lord? Rather don't come, rather leave them. We'd want you to stand at God's word. But if you come in to betray Christ, it is a horrific place to be. But they were not traitors. Verse 18, Then the Spirit took control of Amasai, chief of the thirty, and he said, We are yours, David. So here he's speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is a prophecy. We are yours, David. We are with you, son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to him who helps you, for your God helps you. And so David received them and made them leaders of his troops. And so the Holy Spirit says, no, uh, God is with David. God's wholeness, God's peace, his shalom is with David. And those who come and support David will experience that peace, that wholeness. Well, our David, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a man on earth, our God was with him. He was anointed by the Father. God's peace was with him. Without sin. And if you, if you are committed to Jesus Christ, you will know that same peace. As you obey him, as you, as you follow King Jesus, our great commander, as you, as you walk with him, follow in his footsteps, he will keep you, he will protect you. And these people were made leaders in, in his army. That's what it means to be great in God's kingdom. It's not, oh, well, if you're a pastor, then you're great in God's kingdom, no. It's are you fighting sin? Are you training to be holy? Are you growing in holiness? Some, some people might never see it. You're not a person who's up front here. You're not a person who draws attention to yourself or is in a prominent position. But on judgment day it will be revealed. Your labor is not in vain. It holds benefit for this life and the life to come. Those who have fought sin at every level, who are ruthless with sin, didn't allow it in any way, shape, or form in their life, will be great in God's kingdom. Continues and talks about, in verse 19, some Manasites. That's from the tribe of Manasseh who joined as well. And then if you skip down to verse 22, at that time, men came day after day to help David until there was a great army, like an army of God. And that just reminded me of Acts. As we've been going through the book of Acts, remember Acts 2? 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every day people were being added to, to David's army, like an army of God. And every day, do you know every day God is saving people? Pray that he would save, add to our number every day. But the reality is God is saving people every day. And we are the army of God. That's that, that hymn that we sing. 
Onward, Christian soldiers. If you're a child of God, you're part of God's great army. Fighting sin. Verse 23, the numbers of the armed troops who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, according to the Lord's word, were as follows. And it goes through the list with all their numbers. Just note verse 32 quickly. From the tribe of Issachar, there were those who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Verse 32, those from the tribe of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. If you're not learning what the scriptures teach and the doctrines of God's word, if you're not training for, for long-range attacks, seeing ungodly philosophies and worldviews that are encroaching, uh, if you are not coming under the sound of God's word, listening to God's word and applying God's word in your life, not building relationships and following other godly people, if you're not looking at yourself, examining your life, seeing where you need to improve, where your weaknesses are, you won't be one of these people who understand the times and know what God's people should do. But if you are doing those things, you will understand the times. You understand the world that we live in, no matter how crazy it is, no matter how absurd and surreal it becomes. You'll be okay. You'll be on the rock. You won't be swayed. And you will know how God's people are to respond. And continues the list. Verse 38. All these warriors lined up in battle formation came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. See the chronicler's emphasis? All of Israel, all of God's people to, to anoint David, make him king. Unity. All the rest of Israel was also of one mind to make David king. In the Hebrew, fully determined, in this, in this translation, I think it's the whole man, the ESV says an undivided heart, a whole heart. Sorry, the ESV says a whole heart. The Hebrew is an undivided heart. The people came with an undivided heart to make David king. Now, I've always loved that phrase, Undivided heart. Psalm 86, David says this, verse 11, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I want, David's saying, I want an undivided heart. What is he saying? I want a heart that's fully committed to you, Lord. It's not divided. It's not fragmented. It's not 60% for Christ and then 10% for my career and 10% for my family and this and that. And it's fragmented all over the place. I want an undivided heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All those other things will fall into place. God's people, he had an undivided heart to make David king. We must have an undivided heart to, to honor our king and to worship our king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 39, they spent three days there eating and drinking with David, for their relatives had provided for them. In addition, their neighbors came from a, as far away as Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali, came and brought food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen, abundant provisions of flour, fig cakes, raisins, wine, and oil, oxen, and sheep. 
Indeed, there was joy in Israel. This is the end of this section. It's a glorious end. They're anointing David. Israel is united. And what do they do? They have a feast. And people give lavishly to this feast. For three days. Have you ever been to a party that lasts three days? That's what they did. Three days. Some of you might be thinking, that can't be in the Bible. That's unchristian. There's work to do. Uh, <laughs> then why weren't they evangelizing? Huh? Well, don't go evangelizing when you're so grumpy, okay? If you can't have joy in Christ, in our anointed King, they covenanted with Him, our Messiah, who laid down His life for us and loves us and calls us to in, enjoy all good things that He's given us to enjoy. You know those testimonies, those documentaries of, of, of men who have been in battle together, who have fought in the trenches. There's a camaraderie that's built. There is a love for one another because they've, they've seen things. They've had one another's backs. They've suffered together. And when it's over, they're able to rejoice and to party and to feast. That's the idea here. Those who fight together should be forming a special bond. There should be a special bond amongst all of God's people here. We're fighting the same battle, aren't we? Don't you want to be holy? Don't you want to love God? We're not fighting for a political party or our thing or this or that thing. We're fighting for Christ to be holy and to be wise. And, and, and talking to Lela the other day, he said, it's such a great thing, it's just stuck with me. I just want to know how to please the Lord. Isn't that the desire of your heart? I just want to please the Lord. And it's not, it's not a downcast self-pity. Yes, we sin. But we have the good news. That's why it's good news. It's not some standard, you know, well, this is it. If you, if you don't attain the standard, then you're sorry. Uh, you're not saved. No, we have the good news. You haven't attained the standard, but somebody has. And this person, our great Savior, has given the Holy Spirit. He's given gifts to the church, pastor, teachers, and evangelists, to equip, to train us. So he says, I'm going to train you so you can, you can live a holy life. Not train you so one day I might, maybe I'll save you if you're good enough. No, I've saved you already. I've already laid down my life. And so even in, in a desert, in a stronghold, there is... A time for feasting and a time for joy. Notice how it ends. Indeed, there was joy in Israel. And it was normal when they were at these covenant ceremonies, you can go through scripture, covenant ceremonies, they would have a, a meal. Covenant ceremonies were ratified by a meal. And that's what we're going to do this morning. That's what communion is. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's reaffirming that we are God's people. That we've come out of this desert into this stronghold. And the Lord Jesus Christ is here to feed us. And so as we have communion, I want you to use your sanctified imagination. You've come out from, from the desert 
You've had this week. You've run this race. Yes, you've stumbled and fallen at times, and you've got, those of us who played soccer have got grazes on our knees and bruises. So it is spiritually. You're hungry. You're thirsty. The Lord says, come, I will feed you. You're going to eat and drink. And I'm going to feed you spiritually as you eat and drink by faith. This is a feast. A time for joy in, in the Lord. You see, these people were loyal to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, yeah, they're loyal to David. They're loyal to the true king. God's king that he placed there, David. God's choice. They were loyal to him. They were willing to suffer any cost to be rejected by their own clan, by their own family. One author says this in his book called The Book of Virtues. Our loyalties are important signs of the kinds of person we have chosen to become. They mark a kind of constancy or steadfastness in our attachments to those other persons, groups, institutions, or ideals with which we have deliberately decided to associate ourselves. What are you loyal to? Your loyalty is where your heart is. It's your treasure. These men were loyal to David. We are called to be loyal to Jesus Christ. Undivided heart. Fully committed to him. So I'm going I'm to pray for us. and well, I'm first going to say goodbye to our, our online audience. Uh, we're going to have communion now, but if you have any questions, please do email us, reach out to us. And if you're nearby, please visit us. And thank you for, for joining.